Thank you, Paul. And I just want to—I want to take a, a moment just to thank um, everybody who uh, works to bring us into this attitude of worship every week. We don't say it enough, but uh, we've got Carolyn, who is always beautiful on the organ. Uh, we've got the praise team. We've got the worship team. Uh, the deacons who put together uh, our communion every week or every month, uh, our sound guys, our live streamers, our camera person. Yeah, I better not forget our camera person today. Um, <laughs> and all of these people, and I just want to just really quickly say a, a quick thank you because today is Labor Day. Or, well, tomorrow is Labor Day. Today is Labor Day uh, weekend. Um, we're spending some time uh, with family, with friends. Uh, a lot of us not laboring, I hope, uh, although some people uh, are first responders, especially some of our doctors, um, and many of our uh, service workers uh, will continue to spend the day working tomorrow. But I just wanted to say a thank you to those who labor here at Morning Hour to uh, just, again, bring us into an attitude of worship every Sunday and thank all of those who uh, put together our special events, those who lead our uh, ministries, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, um, everything kind of that happens here, our, our women's uh, prayer and, and study group. Um, and I know I'm forgetting somebody, and I, and I apologize. You can come up and yell at me later. But uh, just want to thank all of those people this morning and thank God for them. Um, we are finishing our journey through Jonah. We took a little break last week, talked a little bit about back to school. Um, but Jonah provides us a deep dive, so to speak, uh, into God's sovereignty and his mercy and his love. And remember, we said that God is sovereign. Sovereignty is the ability and even the right to exercise power without limitation. And God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, and to whom he wants. And we see that through scripture. He talks about that uh, in, in many places in scripture. But God doesn't just use that absolute sovereign power just randomly. It's not just a whim. God also gives us free will. And because he gives us free will, we can choose either to accept him or to reject him. And when we reject him, a lot of people think, well, if we reject God, he's going to send us to hell. God's not going to send us to hell. We're already on our way there. God provides an off-ramp from that path, a, a, a way back to him through his son, Jesus Christ, and our acceptance of his gift of salvation through his death. And God provided this way back because of his love, because of his mercy, because he is not some tyrant sitting up in the sky waiting for us to do something wrong so he can go zap. That's not who our God is. And that's what the book of Jonah shows us and nowhere more completely than in Jonah chapter four. And that's what we're going to look at. See, in, jo in Jonah chapter three, we saw Jonah finally arrive in Nineveh. We've talked about Jonah's journey there. We've talked about the fish. We've talked about the storm. We've talked about his prayer. Last time we talked, we saw Jonah go into the city that God had slated for destruction because of the evil that had permeated that city. They had so rejected God. 
And Jonah warned them that they would be destroyed in 40 days. And one thing Jonah didn't say was, unless you repent. See, because Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. Jonah wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. So he came in and all he said was, 40 more days, that's all you got. You're done. But Nineveh heard the voice of God, even through Jonah's halfway message. And they did. They repented. They heeded that warning. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They fasted. They even had their livestock fast, just in case. The king said, who knows, maybe God will relent from destroying us if we repent. And God relented in his mercy, and he didn't destroy the city. And this morning, I want to just read Jonah chapter 4. And I'd like for you to, to, to grab your Bible or a pew Bible or your Bible app. I'm not even going to put it on the screen yet. I just want us to read Jonah chapter 4. And while we're reading, think about this conversation that God has with Jonah. And look for places where God shows his sovereignty and his love and his mercy. Everybody there? Everybody at Jonah chapter 4? All right. So we're just going to read along. And I'm in the, I'm, you know what? I'm actually going to grab a pew Bible so that I'm reading the same version as you because I know I use a slightly different version than some of you. So give me a moment to find Jonah chapter 4. Pastor Joe, good grief. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, no, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. How do I know? All right, Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? And Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you, could have, you, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it. Or make it grow, it sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah 
It's a very short chapter. But there's a lot happening in these 11 short verses. And first thing that we see after God has relented, after God has said, no, I'm not going to destroy the city now, we see Jonah's anger. And we see, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Have you ever been that angry with God? I know people who have been that angry with God. They actually will, will, will point up at God, they will shake their fist at God and say, you know what, if you're going to be like that, just kill me. I don't want to live anymore. I've heard people, of, or heard of people who have said those things. And man, Jonah was very angry, and he comes up to God, and he says, you know what, God? I knew this was going to happen. I knew you weren't going to destroy these vile, evil Ninevites. I wish I was dead. And why was he angry? He was angry because God acted not in the fury that Jonah thought he should act in, but in grace and mercy and steadfast love. Think about that. Let's go back to, the, the, to those verses. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He was angry because God was gracious. He was angry because he is merciful, because he is slow to anger, because he overflows with steadfast. Steadfast means everlasting. He overflows with everlasting love. All of these things are why Jonah was angry. And yet, all of these things were things that God had exhibited to Jonah's people, Israel. Over and over and over and over again. So many times we read in the Old Testament when God is dealing with Israel that God relented from his anger. He wanted to destroy Israel time and time again. And Moses or one of the people or a group of the people prayed and God relented from destroying them. He showed them grace. He showed them mercy. He showed them forgiveness. And yet here's Jonah thinking that the Ninevites don't deserve this gift. And that's what grace is. Grace is a gift. It's a good gift. And it's basically receiving something that you don't deserve at no cost to yourself just because the giver wants to give it to you just because you are important to the giver and they want you to know your importance and Jonah didn't think that the Ninevites deserved for God to give them this gift of grace how could he how could he forgive them after all they'd done to his people 
After all they'd done to Israel, they don't deserve forgiveness. And you know what? Jonah was right. The Ninevites didn't deserve forgiveness. Then again, neither did Jonah. Then again, neither do we. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We can do nothing to earn God's forgiveness. We don't even deserve to be alive. We are alive because God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, fills our lungs with air every morning. He provides us with food and water and shelter, all of the things that we need to live. He provides us with families so that we can feel love. But we don't deserve any of it. It is because of God's grace that we breathe, that we live. And it is because of God's grace that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. How can we possibly say, how could Jonah possibly say, other people don't deserve forgiveness? Of course they don't deserve it. That's what's great about it. That's what's awesome about God. He gives us this gift for no reason other than he wants to. And that's why God responds to Jonah as he does. He says, the Lord, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Not why are you angry? Not you shouldn't be angry. Definitely not how dare you be angry with me, zap. Do you do well to be angry? Is anger an appropriate response to this situation? Not only that, is anger good for you, Jonah? Is anger good for you? It seems like Jonah has been angry with the Ninevites his whole life. Because his whole life he's known the Ninevites to be these horrible people to the Israelites. And now that they're not going to get what he thinks they deserve, now he's angry with God. And we go on in uh, Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth or a shelter for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. God's already said, I'm not going to destroy him. God's already given the answer. But Jonah, he's sitting there thinking, okay, maybe God will come to his senses. Maybe God just is having an off day. Maybe he doesn't realize what he's saying. Maybe he just needs to see how horrible the Ninevites are. And then he's going to rain down fire on these disgusting people. And then he's probably thinking, man, it's hot. It's like Pennsylvania hot. It is hot out here. I've got to build myself a little uh, lean-to to try and cool off. It doesn't really work that well, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there's Jonah sitting there in his sweat, and he's hot, and he's hoping that God will relent from his relenting. And then all of a sudden, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And what was Jonah's response to the plant? Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Ah, 
You ever been out in the sun and then you walk under like a shade tree and it's like 15 degrees cooler under there and you're just like, ah, oh, to stay here for the rest of the day. That was what Jonah was feeling. He was so excited. God gave me a plant. God gave me shade. This is the way things should be. I deserve it. I deserve this shade after all I've been through. But see, this was the second of God's labors of love in the book of Jonah. The first, of course, was relenting from destroying the Ninevites. And now he's taking care of the Ninevites. And now he's taking care of Jonah's needs. And he appointed a plant. Remember that word appointed. Just like he appointed a great fish to save Jonah from drowning. Jonah didn't do anything to deserve either of these appointments. He certainly didn't do anything to deserve comfort from God after being angry with him. How many of you, somebody lashes out at you in anger and you're like, okay, fine. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. We do. If we're honest with ourselves, God could have just said, you know what? Bake. Broil. I don't care. But God loved Jonah, just like he loves us. And God gave Jonah comfort. Jonah didn't do anything to deserve it. God gave him comfort anyway. That's grace. That plant was a gift from God to Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah ran away from God. God saved him. Jonah did a really poor job of preaching to the Ninevites. God saved them anyway. We see God's grace and God's mercy and God's love all throughout this book and especially here. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Man, Jonah was a drama queen. Holy cow. I want to die. You're not fair, God. I just, I just don't want to do anything anymore. But we see, that we see God's sovereignty in action here. God appoints a fish. God appoints a plant. God appoints a worm. God appoints a, a scorching east wind. That's God's sovereignty. He can do whatever he wants. And he does those things. And Jonah, who has seen God's grace and mercy and comfort and sovereignty with the people of Israel, should know that God is sovereign and merciful and graceful and loving. And yet he still wishes to be dead. Again, second time, in the same day, kill me, God, I don't want to live. And then look at God's response again. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Apparently the plant was the last straw for Jonah. 
right? After everything that had happened, he had this wonderful, glorious shade plant. We don't know what kind of plant it was, but this, whatever it was, it was giving him this, this coolness and he wasn't suffering anymore and he was so happy. And then all of a sudden it dies. It gets taken away from him and a scorching wind is beaten down on his head and he's feeling faint and he can't do it anymore. God, just kill me. Jonah is saying here is, God, I don't care what you want. I don't care that you want to either destroy or not destroy the Ninevites anymore. I don't care because you took away my plant. Kill me. This is as far as Jonah has gotten. But the things that God has done, God has done to remind Jonah of the things that he already knows. We go on, and God tries to make Jonah understand one more time. He says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Who labored? Who made it grow? I'm sorry. Who labored? Who made it grow? God! Jonah, you didn't do anything for this plant at all. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And guess what? That's the way life goes sometimes. We've heard that expression, easy come, easy go. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes we're sitting on top of the world, and then the next day something happens, and we're utterly destroyed. Jonah, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to deserve the plant, and you didn't do anything to make it come into existence in the first place. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? 120,000 was a big city for that time. 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. Not sure why God throws that in there. But, and also much cattle. Jonah, you've seen my power. I hurl mighty tempests. I appoint scorching east winds. You know I can do whatever I put my mind to do. But I also appoint fishes. I also appoint plants. I do these things. Because my plan is perfect. Because my love is perfect. Because my grace and my mercy are perfect. I am grace and mercy and love. And Jonah, I don't want to see anybody destroyed. You're absolutely right on that. I am slow to anger. I am not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And we've heard that over and over again as we've been talking through Jonah. Jonah, I don't want to destroy anybody. I am love and I am mercy, but I am also justice. And if you're not going to repent, you will get what you have worked for. 
And you pitied that plant that you didn't create. You didn't destroy it. You were happy with it when I gave it to you, and then you're angry with me when I took it away. You pity the destruction of a plant, a temporary creation, more than you pity 120,000 human souls, eternal human souls who were on the road to eternal destruction. You pitied the plant more than them. Which begs the question, which eternal human souls do we not pity? Which souls do we, like Jonah, believe are not worthy of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love? Now, of course, none of us, no Christian will admit that we want to see people go to hell. No person will admit that, at least not anybody that I know here. But if we're honest with ourselves, many of us would like to see retribution rather than redemption. Sure, let them go to heaven, but punish them first. Last night, or two nights ago rather, Friday night, I had to ask forgiveness from God, but not because I wished somebody would go to hell. But there was a person who had injured a loved one of mine. And I wished that that person would experience the same injury and feel the same pain. And that thought stopped me. This thought and these words rang in my ears. Do you do well to be angry? And I had to ask forgiveness. Human beings by our nature often seek revenge, not justice. We seek revenge. We say we want justice, but really what we want is somebody to suffer for whatever they've done. We are a very eye for an eye creation. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that to ourselves. But God asks us, do you do well to be angry? We could translate that in, do you do well to be unforgiving? Unloving, ungracious, unmerciful. All of these things are the things that anger begets. We don't want to be loving. We don't want to be merciful. We don't want to be gracious. But do we do well to be angry? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, and we know it as the Lord's Prayer, and most of us can recite it by heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what are the next words? For thine is the kingdom and the power. No, those are not the next words that Jesus said to his disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are the next words that Jesus says after he teaches his disciples how to pray. This word evil here, 
Deliver us from evil. This word evil means being morally or socially worthless. And what Jesus says is, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer, this last section of the Lord's Prayer, is Father, deliver us from being morally and socially worthless. Deliver us from being morally and socially worthless. What makes us morally and socially worthless? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness makes us morally and socially worthless. If we forgive, God forgives. If we don't forgive, God doesn't forgive. Who do we need to forgive this morning? Who do you need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? It might be a personal thing. We might need to forgive someone we know, someone who wronged us personally. We might need to ask forgiveness for somebody that we've wronged personally. But we also need to forgive people. People, groups who we've decided don't deserve forgiveness. Those are the people we need to forgive. Those are the people we need to treat with love and mercy and grace. Don't let your anger, don't let your unforgiveness be what is keeping you from God. Don't let it be what is keeping you away from the best relationship with God that you can have. Don't let your stubbornness, don't let your desire for retribution keep you from praying for and ministering to and witnessing for Christ to a person or a people group that has made you angry. Pray that your anger will dissolve into forgiveness. And forgive as God has forgiven you because guess what? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve God's forgiveness, but he wants to give it anyway. Let us be a people who regardless of whether we think someone deserves our forgiveness, forgives them anyway. Because by forgiving them, you point them towards God. By forgiving them, you live the life that God wants you to live as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus and forgive. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this book of Jonah that you have placed in the scripture for us, that we can read it, that we can look at it, that we can learn from it. Thank you for showing us your sovereignty. Thank, us, thank you for showing us that you are all-powerful, that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. 
And Father, thank you even more for showing us that you do nothing indiscriminately. That everything you do has a purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill your good and perfect will on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of forgiveness, something that we couldn't earn, something that we couldn't work off, something that we had no power over. Thank you for giving it to us anyway. And Father, I ask that you transform our lives, that you transform our anger into forgiveness. We agree with you. We do not do well to be angry. Help us to forgive as you forgive. Help us to love as you love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. This morning we're going to commemorate the, the death of Jesus Christ by taking part in communion. And I can think of no better message for communion than forgive. Jesus Christ told his disciples, if you bring a gift to the altar, and while you're there, you remember that your brother has something against you, that means you need to ask forgiveness. First, leave your gift at the altar and go and reconcile with your brother. Then come back and give your gift to God. And all too often we forget. All too often we remain in anger. We remain in this unreconciled relationship with people. I want to encourage you as we prepare for communion this morning as we take a few moments to pray. Search your heart. Search your mind. Is there somebody who has something against you? Is there someone you have something against? Is there somebody you need to forgive? As you're praying, tell God who that person is and tell him that you are purposing in your heart to go and be reconciled with that person. And then you can come forward and take the bread and the cup, take that back to your seat, and we'll all partake together. I'll give you a few moments to pray. As you're coming up, um, I will be on this side of the sanctuary. Linda will be on this side of the sanctuary. If you need prayer, uh, we are there for you to pray for you. Let's take a few moments and reflect, pray, ask God to remind us of how we can be more like him. Jesus sat with his disciples on the night before he died. Jesus knew he was going to die. And he knew why. 
who's going to die for the forgiveness of our sins. And the last things that Jesus did were wash his disciples' feet, eat a meal with them, and ask them to remember him. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he blessed it. He prayed to God that he would bless this bread for his friends. And then he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Each time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This is the body of Jesus Christ. Near the end of the supper, Jesus picked up a goblet of wine, and again he blessed it. Then he passed it around to his friends, his disciples, and he said, Take this and drink it. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant of salvation, the new covenant of God's forgiveness that I'm going to pour out tomorrow. Each time you drink it, remember me. Blood of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know the rest of the story. They left supper after singing a hymn. Jesus was arrested, beaten, tried, beaten again, and crucified. His body was broken, just as he said. His blood was spilled, just as he said. He was laid in a tomb. And on the third day, Jesus conquered death. He walked out of the tomb so that we could have eternal life. I'd like for you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Forgive. God bless you.